Um, so today, I have the privilege of sharing the Word of God with you. And we've been on a series the last several weeks entitled, All Things New. And I'm just going to quickly recap. We learned a couple of things. We learned that we have a new life in Christ. I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes that's something that we don't quite consider, that we have a new life. We approach life from what we know, from where we've been, from what we've been told, from the circumstances going on around us, from uh, the challenges that we're facing, whatever. Uh, but the reality is that Scripture gives us a different perspective. Scripture tells us that we have a new life. Let me read it to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Here's literally what, the, what Paul is saying here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I know that Jesus died, and because he died, we all died. If we're children of God, then we no longer live, is what he's saying. And so he says in verse 15, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. See that? You're not living for you. You're living for him. You're, li he's, you're living his life, is what he's saying. And so it says, uh, so uh, that all those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16 is, a, is, is an important point here. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So literally what he's saying is this. We no longer approach life according to seeing it from a worldly point of view. That includes your history. That includes your background. That's in, that includes uh, the mistakes you made. That includes faulty thinking. He's saying we don't approach this life, this new life, this way. We approach it through a different means. And so therefore, he says in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. By the way, that's not something abstract. That's talking about you and me. Literally, what the scriptures are revealing is that you are an entirely new species, something that's never been in existence. That's what the scripture's saying. And it goes on to certify that by saying this, the old has gone, the new has come. Put it to you this way. We learned this in the first week of this series, that God invites us to step out of the old so that we can step into our new life with Christ. And the truth is this, that sometimes for some of us, we live, uh, we're, we're, we're trying to move forwards, but we're still looking backwards. We're still thinking backwards. And that doesn't work. Uh, Jesus put it this way in a parable. He says, you can't take new wine and put it in old wineskins. Because if you do, it'll burst the, the, the skins. And then you'll create a mess. In essence, the point that Jesus is making is this. The new life that I'm giving you, what I want to bring into your life, everything that I'm doing, that I've done, that I've paid a price for, and now this abundant life that I give you, it doesn't fit in the old container. Here's what that means. It doesn't fit in the way we thought we knew God. It doesn't fit according to our hurts. It doesn't fit according to a mindset that points us to an old way of being. It only fits in the new container. That's Christ in you. We also learned that our position has changed, and because of it, our conditions can change too. The scriptures put it this way. It says that we are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Scripture says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Guess what? That's your location. That's where you now reside. So while we're physically here, the truth is that we, in Christ, we are now directly at the right hand of the Father in Jesus. Let me put it to you this way. 
Where you're positioned changes how you approach life's conditions. So think of it this way. If your vantage point is from below, if you wake up and you go, today is the worst day of my life, and that's your starting point, then guess what? You'll approach life as if it's an uphill battle. You will struggle because your vantage point is less than where you are in Christ, than who you are in Christ. Conversely, if you understand that you're seated in heavenly places, then guess where your view, your view is from, really? It's from a place of victory. It's a place where you are right with God and you're blessed of God and everything is good because of Christ in you. And so you'll approach life as a victor, not a victim, right? We also learned that a new life in Christ isn't about living our life, but it's about living his life. Paul puts it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me and who loved me. Paul is saying this, I'm dead. We're dead. And the one that's now supposed to live, the life that we now live, is the life of Jesus, not ours. That changes our experience. And then last week we saw that what we see is key to experiencing new life in Christ. Scripture puts it this way. We walk by faith. And when it talks about walking, it's talking about a manner of life. It's talking about an approach to life. It says we walk, we approach life by faith, not by what we see, not by sight. And that's important because many times we approach life from what comes at us, from what we see, from what we feel. And that's not the way that we approach this new life in Christ. And so today as we jump into our next point, I want us to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Philippians 1, verses 19 and 20. And before we read uh, in this portion of scripture, this, these two little verses, I want us to just note Paul's current situation in the writing of this letter by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul's in prison. Some of you are not excited about that. I wouldn't be either. I wouldn't want to be in prison. Right? But Paul's in prison. And the truth is that according to Roman custom, but also because of uh, Paul's history, he's chained to a Roman soldier, a centurion, a Roman soldier. And the, the, the reason why he's chained is, one, it's because of custom, but two, prior to the writing of this, Paul already has an escape on his uh, jacket. He, he's, uh, he, he escaped once from prison. God caused an earthquake. It broke the door, the, 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 the cell open. Paul leaves prison. Uh, the Roman soldier that was uh, in charge of the prison gets saved. And so Paul's got a history. So they're like, we got to keep this guy close to us. So he's chained to a Roman soldier. But then also, to complicate matters worse, Paul is facing what is sure to be a death sentence. So how many of you will agree that Paul's in a bad situation, right? Not a good situation. But let's listen to Paul's heart attitude and what he's believing in the midst of this. Philippians chapter 1, verse, starting at verse 19, says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. What? Paul's literally saying, listen, I know that this is going to come out all right. I'm going to be good. But watch why. He says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer, but watch this, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
And so what are, we be, what are we beginning to see here? That Paul's confidence and Paul's perspective in the midst of what he's experiencing is not based on what he sees. It's not based on the chains. It's not based on the sentence that's sure to come. It's based upon his confidence that he's surrounded by people that care, but also it's based upon a supply, a greater supply. Paul calls it the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In verse 20, he says, And so according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So track with Paul what he's saying by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I know, I'm confident, I have this expectation and this hope that I will not be let down by God in nothing. But why? Because Paul's confidence was in a greater supply than his conditions and the circumstances and what life offered him. And so in verse 19, what we see is this, that Paul faced great pressure from the outside. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't hard. But we, what we do have to understand is that su the supply within him trumped the circumstances on the outside. That's life-changing, ladies and gentlemen. That's the same Christ that lives in you and I. You might be reading this and going, well, that's Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the Bible. Paul healed people. Paul was raised from the dead himself. Uh, Paul overcame all these challenges. Paul knew the word. Paul had a personal encounter with Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Scripture says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you and I. Amen. And so you have the same Jesus that he had. Why is that important to know? Because you have the same supply that he had. You have the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ within you. And so the way I look at it is this. If in the natural, if you looked at it just based on surface level, it should actually be Paul getting the letter and saying, hey, Paul, be encouraged. This is going to work out somehow for you. But in, in reality, what we see is that Paul is so confident in Christ. He's so much living from the inside supply that's been provided to him that he says, I know I'm not going to be ashamed in the midst of this. I know this is going to work out. I know that no matter what, this is going to turn out better. Because I trust the supply within. It reminds me of a story of an old lady that I once heard who for many years worked for a very wealthy uh, businessman. And so she, she raised her family, uh, seven, eight kids all throughout those years. She lived paycheck to check, paycheck. She did, made good money, but she was just scraping by. And so uh, eventually her, her boss passes away. And he leaves her a little piece of paper that she really treasured. The problem was she didn't know how to read. But this guy was really good to her. And so it turns out that um, after the, the company closed and everything, you know, she no longer had that source of income. She fell on hard times. And she just was kind of going struggling in life day by day. And all her children and all her family, nobody came to see her. 
But she had this one neighbor that would come by every day just to check in on her, just to touch base with her, just to encourage her, just to see how things were going, to, to pray with her, to give her some food, to bring her a little something, and just watch over her. And so on one particular day, this gentleman stops by, uh, as he usually did, and he, he's uh, talking with her and chit-chatting, and he, he couldn't help but notice that the same piece of paper that was in this frame all this time over her bedpost uh, was there, and so he took interest in it. So he says to her, tell me, what's with the paper in the frame? Now, you got to understand it was a paper that it looked like it had been crumbled. It's kind of uh, dilapidated and fringing, yellowing at the edges. It's been there for a long time. And so he asked her, what's with that paper in there? She goes, oh, that paper is very special to me. He says, well, tell me why. And she says to him, my boss, who was really good to me, gave it to me. Uh, he left it to me when he passed away. And so uh, he goes, really? And so he takes even further interest. And now he leans in. And as he's looking at the paper, he realizes that the writing on it reveals that it is the man's last will and testament. He left her everything. The problem was she didn't know what she had. There was a great supply available to her. And yet she lived day to day struggling because she was unaware of the great gift and supply that her owner had, her boss had left her. Ladies and gentlemen, I share that story with you because that's what your life and mine is like in Christ. Listen, you may not feel that way. It might not make sense to you. But the truth, the truth is this. That because Christ lives in you, because you are a child of God, ladies and gentlemen, the truth is that you have a great supply. If you're looking for a big idea today, I just want to simply encourage you with this thought. That there is a greater supply within you. There is a greater supply within you. And I have to ask you a question today. Do you know it? Are you familiar with it? Are you living life waiting for the sweet by and by? Are you just moseying on in life, scraping by day by day, hoping and praying? Or do you know the supply that's available to you? Because the supply changes the results. It changes your experience in life. I love what Ephesians chapter 1 verses 17 through 20 says. If we could put that up. It talks about uh, the importance of understanding and knowing what we have. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So what is Paul saying? I'm praying that you would embrace, that you would know the wisdom of God, that you would get a revelation, but of what? He says that you may, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of, of, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. See, the supply within you is one that is powerful. According to what we, what we just read in Ephesians, it is one that gives you access to the riches of an inheritance that are yours in Jesus. You ain't broke. 
You've got more than you know. And when I talk about being broke, I'm not talking simply about money, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about you lack nothing in Christ. You have everything that you need in Jesus. And this supply is one that Paul prays. He says, I pray that you would know the power of God, his exceedingly great power towards you. You lack no power. You lack no thing in Jesus. It's his might. It's his power. He worked it in Christ, and because Jesus was raised, so are you. You know what that means? That because Jesus was raised, now you were raised, and you qualify for the very same thing. It's yours. I got to ask you this question again. Do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know it? Are your eyes open? Or are you just living life from a temporal perspective? Listen, for some of us, when we think about a supply for life, here's what we think about. We think about our work income. We think about our paycheck. That's my supply. We think about what we know from life experience. We think about people and how, mu- how, how much they help us and, and, and what they've taught us and, and how they help us. Uh, we think about material possession. But here's the thing. None of those things are a supply for life. Yeah. Hear what I'm saying. They're a supply for the moment. Let me give you an example of that. Your paycheck that you so look forward to, that you plan your life around, that you plan your time around, That paycheck, that income that you have that comes in, that you so, quote-unquote, depend on, that income lasts you for a moment. And thank God that you get another one, and it lasts you for those next two weeks, for that next week. That's for the moment. Listen to me. The supply that is yours in Christ is for a lifetime. It's not for the moment. It's for every day. The accolades, the affection that you depend on from people, that's for the moment because they come and they go. And eventually when they go or you're you're far in distance, guess what you experience? You experience, you have this emotional experience. It's like, oh my God, I feel so sad. And you're deficient again. But the supply of the spirit of Jesus that lives in you is a supply that is constant. It's for life. It's for eternity. But unfortunately, some people can approach and treat the new life that's ours in Christ in the same way. We experience it for the moment. Oh, you know, things are hard. Now I got to pray. Oh, Jesus, now I'm trying. Jesus, help me out of this one. Oh, God, I know it's hard. God, you see what I'm going through. God, help. You're living for the moment. You're not living in the lifetime of the supply of Christ in your life. That's the new life in Christ that's yours now. Now. The thing is, that now is always. Now does not turn for, oh, that was yesterday. No, you live in that day by day, moment by moment, because nothing can separate you from his love. He's with you. He's for you. You cannot fail. Well, I pray some of you got that. Listen, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, gives us an idea of the momentary supply. It's Jesus speaking, and he says to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Here's what he's saying. Take heed of those desires that draw upon you, that cause you to want 
what's not, what, those other things. So he says, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life, listen closely, does not consist, it does not depend, it's not made up of the abundance of the things he possesses. Think about what it's saying. Think about what it's saying. Your new life is not made up of the things you accumulate. Listen, think about that. It's not made up of the things that we accumulate. If that's our approach to life, then here's what it reveals. That we possess nothing because what we have is the very thing that possesses us. Think about that. If our approach to life is, my supply is based upon what I have, what I get, the people around me. If that's how we are approaching life, then we possess nothing. We, we, we don't possess new life. We, we're, not, we're, not, we're not taking a hold of it. We're not appropriating that in life. That's not working in our life. Because in reality, we possess nothing. Because we're possessed by the things that we think we need. Does that make sense? And so, I want us to look to uh, Ephesians verses 4 and 16, which gives us greater insight into the supply that's ours in the Spirit of Christ, in the one that now lives in us. In verse uh, 16, it says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's leave, let's leave that scripture up there for a moment. And I want to break this down for you. You remember when we were looking at Ephesians 1, 19, and it was talking about, uh, Paul was saying, listen, I know that this is all going to work out based upon your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in my life. Remember that? That word supply there in Ephesians 1, 19 is only used two times in the entire Bible. The one time is in Ephesians 1.19. The second time is here in Ephesians 4.16. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because I want you to see what this supply is. That word supply there doesn't speak of simply a reserve. When we think of supply, we think of my bank account. That's my supply. And so when I need something, I go to that supply, that reserve. This word is not just simply speaking of a supply. It actually depicts a supplier. Let me, let me break this down for you because I know that went over some of your heads. I want, you to, I, want, I want us to look back at Ephesians 4.16 and I want you to think about a supplier, one that is continually feeding, nourishing, helping, encouraging, providing. Watch this. It says, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what? Every joint supplies. So do this with me. Everybody raise your hand, your right hand. Don't worry, we're not going to say the, uh, we're not, we're not, we're not going to take an oath here or anything. I want you to do this with me. Wiggle your fingers. Wiggle them as fast as you can. Just keep wiggling them. Now, I want you to consider this. Those fingers are not wiggling by themselves, right? Now, you can put your hand down because I know some of you are getting tired, right? I'll keep wiggling my fingers. I want you to consider this. These fingers are not wiggling in and of themselves. They depend upon ligaments. They depend upon joints. So these ligaments in my fingers, these joints in my fingers are connected to other joints in my hand, right? 
My hand is connected to my wrist. My wrist is connected to my, uh, to my forearm. This forearm is connected to this elbow. This elbow is connected to, to uh, this bone here that goes to my shoulder. This shoulder is connected to my, to my torso, to my ribs, to my chest. And so what I want you to see is that there is a constant supply, whether these fingers are moving or not, because they're connected to something else that is continually feeding it the ability to do what it's supposed to do. You get that? And so think about now the supply of Jesus Christ. It's not something in reserve. It's something that's a supplier. It's constantly working in your life. I've got to ask you this question again. Do you know it? Do you know it? Because according to what you know, to that extent, you'll experience the new life that's yours in Christ. To that extent. Oh, I know, I know Jesus loves me. How's that impacting your thinking? I know, I know that God is my provider. Tell me, how's that impacting your approach to life? Oh, I know, I know that God is for me, that, that, that God, I can do all things through Christ, really. What are you doing? How's that impacting your life? How's it changing your life? And so consider the supply that's yours and mine. It's one that's a supplier. It's constantly at work in our lives. And what I love about it is that this supply, the power of it is revealed in Ephesians 4.16. Because in light of this supply, it says that that according to it, there's an effective working by which every part does its share. And so literally what it's saying is that you are fully equipped and able to do what you're created for. And watch what happens because of this supply. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So watch this. Watch this. Literally the supply that's ours in Christ isn't a reserve. What it does is it builds us up. It causes us to grow. But you know when you know something's healthy? When it grows to the extent that it can now do it for itself and so watch what scripture is saying here that this supply right every joint that's supplying what begins to happen is this you begin to grow into such an extent that now you're no longer depending upon pastor you're not ruled by your emotions now you are edified in love it's caused you to grow to such an extent that now you can walk it out yourself you can experience it that's a powerful supply That's a supply that will change your life. The question is, do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know Christ that way? Do you know the life of Christ that way? Are you just looking forward to retirement and me just doing my thing? Are you just looking to your own resources? Are you just looking to the fact that, well, you know, I love Jesus and I know that Jesus loves me. It's good that you know that. What are you doing with that in the kingdom? What are you doing with that for your life? How is that motivating you? How is that causing you to grow and compelling you to do greater things as a child of God? Because, listen, that's what the supply causes in your life and mine. Let me give you a couple of quick scriptures. John 14, verses 5 and 6, just to kind of give you some greater uh, understanding of this supply. Now, keep in mind that Thomas here, Jesus is speaking to Thomas, and Thomas is experiencing a great sense of loss, right? He's, he's, he feels like he's lacking something, right? And so it says that Jesus says to him, uh, that Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you're going. 
And how can we know the way? Right? So Thomas is saying, I feel lost. How's this going to work after you leave? And Jesus says to him, I am the way. You know Jesus saying there? I'm the highway. I'm the very thing that connects you to the destination point. That's what that word means there, highway. He says, I'm the highway. I'm the road. He says, I'm the truth. I'm the most fundamentally important thing that you need. You can, you can rest certain in, in, in me. And he says, and I am the life. He's not just talking about any life. He's talking about a life that is the fullness of God. Literally, it's God's life. And so what he's saying is this. How can you say you don't know the way when you've seen me, if you study it out? And so literally, listen to me. This supply, Jesus in your life and mine, the spirit of Christ that now lives in you, this new life that's yours, you're not without direction. You're not without direction. You're not without truth. You're not without anything in life. You have the life of God. I got to ask you a question, though. Do you know it? I got to ask you another question. Are you living it? Because it's yours. You've already got it. The question is, what are you doing with it? In Psalm 16, 11, it says, You make known to me the path of life. And you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I just got to get real Bible geek with you for a second. In the Hebrew, in the original language, it's important to understand that there is no past tense or future tense. They only spoke present tense. That's the way the Hebrew works. And so literally, literally what this is saying is this. You have made known to me the path of life, and you fill me. You have filled me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, you remember that scripture that says that you are now uh, seated in heavenly places? Remember that the scriptures say that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father? So where are you seated? Right at the right hand. I'm going to tell you why that's important. Because you have a full supply of joy. But the reason why sometimes we may struggle with living in joy is because we're seeking it in the wrong place. Listen, not where we are positioned in Christ at his right hand. You're there, but your attention is somewhere else. And so listen, if we, 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 sometimes we dumb down the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. We look to be joy, we, we, we experience, quote-unquote, what we think is joy based upon people, based upon possessions, based upon whatever. And the truth is that there's only one place where you'll truly experience joy. And the thing is, if you're a child of God, you're already there. The question is, do you know it? Because you're at his right hand. You have a full supply of joy. There is never a moment where you should... Allow yourself to get to a point of depression, of, of, of a state where you're so downcast when you sit at the right hand of God in Christ. When you're blessed, when you're loved, when you're provided for. When you're alive unto God and he lives in you. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. By the way, that is not saying that there is a spirit of fear. What it's saying is that in your spirit, 
There is no fear. There's no cause for fear. That's not part of your makeup. Why? Because you have power. What kind of power? That's dynamite kind of power. It's explosive power. It's power that changes your circumstances. Love. It's talking about God's kind of love. It's a love that provides for you, that equips you, that's, that's uh, faithful, that's sure and secure in your life. And you have a sound mind. You know what Scripture's saying there? It's saying that you have self-control to dominate every thought in your life. You can direct your life. You can think clearly. You can know the truth and believe clearly. And Acts 1.8 tells us about the power that's available to us in, G- in, in Jesus by the, Spirit of the, by the Holy Spirit, which is available to each and every one of us, which is alive in us. And it comes through this baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Listen. The supply that you and I have at our disposal is pow- have our, our disposal is powerful and it enables us to live just like Jesus wherever we go. The Bible says that this power of the Holy Spirit gives you and I the ability to be a witness, not just where we're at, but everywhere. You know what a witness is? A witness is someone who's been there. I love uh, scripture uh, in Acts. It talks about uh, how they looked at Peter and John and they noted that these men had been with Jesus. And you know what it was? It wasn't about what they were just saying. It was that there was a power that was evident in their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the same supplied power to you and I. It's available. And wherever you go, it's with you and capable of revealing God's very best. Not just for you, but in the lives of others. And so I want to take you to a portion of Scripture as we're ending here today. In Acts chapter 3, it talks about an encounter between really two men. The thing is this. One of those men is approaching the same situation from a place of deficiency. His perspective is one where he lacks. He doesn't have a supply in his perspective. The other man, on the other hand, is approaching this from a point where he understands the supply of Jesus Christ in his life. He understands that he carries with him something of great, great value, that there's a greater supply in him, available to him, that is his despite whatever the circumstances are around him. And so let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 and 12, and read about this encounter between these two men. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. 
but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly this man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who, you, who, who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? And so I want you to note something about this encounter. This man that sat at this gate called Beautiful at the entrance of the temple where people went to pray, where people went to discuss the word of God, when people went to do just what you and I are doing right now. This man depended on people to take him there every day to lay him there. And every day, he made sure that they took him there. Don't forget me. Come pick me up. I need my ride. Carry me over there. He went there for the purpose of trying to glean something, to get something, to receive something from people who were walking in and out. He probably played on their feelings, whatever. We don't know that. But what we do know is that this man was living in survival mode. He had no consistent source of supply. And so his approach to life was lack. It's centered around what I could get from somebody else. And so I want you to consider this point. That he was living at the level of supply that he depended on. Think of it this way. As long as you depend on less than Jesus. As long as you depend on less than Jesus. You'll live at a level less than the life of Jesus in you. Think about what I'm saying here. Think about what we're discussing here. This guy was living at the level of a beggar and a lame. That was his perspective for supply in life. And so he's living at less than God's best. And he was getting less results. They weren't great results. See, he had needs, but we find him depending on people to take him to the temple to beg and on those coming in and out to supply his needs. Therefore, his life was limited to that of a beggar and a cripple. But the truth is this, that you and I are not meant to live in survival mode. We're not meant to live in survival mode. We're meant to live out of God's supply within us. Listen closely. You are not meant to depend on temporal things, on momentary things. There is a greater supply available to you and I. Now verses 4 through 8 give us a different perspective. It gives us the perspective of Peter who while he had no money, he had everything. He had a great supply available to him. 
this man looks to Peter to give him something. And Peter, in essence, replies, I don't have what you want, but I do have what you need. I've got something better. And so while it would seem that Peter had nothing to give, Peter knew that he had everything because he gave out of a greater supply. Listen, Peter could have easily looked at him and said, man, my man, I'm sorry. I got nothing for you. I got no money on me. Man, I don't even got a piece of bread to my name right now. This is the only jacket that I have. Can't give it to you, man. I I got nothing. No, that wasn't Peter's approach. Peter says to him, hey, silver or gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus. Listen to what Peter's saying. He's saying, let me give you what I do have. Let me draw from the supply that's available to me, that's available to you at this point. He says to him, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then he gives him a hand and he lifts this man up. Now you got to understand what happened here. This guy had to respond to the name, to the supply that was available. And so Peter extends his hand. What would have happened if he didn't take Peter's hand? The Bible says that he took Peter's hand and that he rises up. And listen, he doesn't just walk. He jumps. He doesn't just walk and jump. He walks, he jumps, and he runs around and he's praising God. Listen, he tapped into a supply that was greater than his circumstances. That's the supply available to you and I in Christ. The power of God. The goodness of God. See, The only thing that guarantees you better results in life is a better supply. You want God's results? You want the promises of God? You want to live in the fullness of the new life that's yours in Christ? Guess what? Stop depending on a momentary supply. Get to know the power of God towards you. Get to understand and let your eyes be open to the inheritance of the riches and the saints that's yours in Jesus. Get to know Jesus more and more. Listen, Peter wasn't focused upon what he had in his pocket. Peter was living out of a supply that was greater than that. It was Christ in him. And because of it, he didn't lack. And he always had something ready, willing, and, and available to meet a need and to meet his needs. The supply of Christ in your life. The Bible tells us that at the sight of this, the people that were around, they took note of the fact that this is the guy who would sit at the front of the temple at the gate called Beautiful. And it says that when they saw him, that they marveled and they were greatly amazed. And that Peter questioned them as to why they were surprised. I'll read to you verse 12 again. He says, why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. See, these people believed that Peter and John had done this. But Peter says, listen, I got nothing to do with this. Oh, you don't get it. There's something greater at work here. And it's available to all of you. If you read verses 13 through 16 through 15, what you'll see is that Peter begins to tell them about Jesus. And he tells them, hey, he's available to you. This is the one you crucified, but he's alive. And in verse 16, he cements in their hearts 
and he tells them of this supply that's available. Listen to what he says in verse 16 of Acts chapter 3. He says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. Faith in Jesus is the only, mean, the only means by which we can live out of our supply. If your confidence isn't in Jesus, if your confidence isn't in the Christ that now lives in you, which is your hope of glory, if our confidence isn't rooted in that, if we're not looking to that, if we're not growing in an understanding of that day by day, then guess what, ladies and gentlemen? While having God's greatest supply available to you, while having the supplier himself actively providing and nourishing and building you, you'll live at a less level. So faith in Jesus is the only means by which you can live out of this supply. I encourage you, you have a new life in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Do you know it? Will you take a hold of it? Because it's yours.